This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. Sheets and Giggles bedding consists of sustainably made 400 thread count eucalyptus sheets that are static-free, moisture-wicking, use no insecticides or pesticides, and are half the cost of their store-bought competition. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at SheetsGiggles. If you're into interior design like me, it can be so tempting to get trendy pieces for your home that you're then stuck with later once they go out of style. A more sustainable option is one you might not have thought about before, renting your furniture. We got the chance to try out Oliver's furniture rental service, and I'm seriously impressed with the gorgeous terrazzo coffee table that's now sitting in my den. I get to have a trendy piece and not feel guilty about sending it to a new home once I'm done with it. Oliver makes sure your pieces are new when they come to you by using extremely high refurbishment standards and sanitization. And at the end of the road, all Oliver pieces go to their donation partner, Habitat for Humanity. Check out oliver.space to browse all of their sustainable and chic options and use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off your order. As consumers, we come into contact with thousands of products every month, whether we're shopping online at the world's biggest department store or hanging out at our local thrift shop. The textiles that make up things like bedding, towels, and clothing have a huge impact on the environment, the people that make them, and also your health. In today's episode of Good Together, Lisa and I sit down with Kestrel Jenkins-McGill, host of the Conscious Chatter podcast and founder of Left Edit, to discuss how our textile consumption habits can become more planet-friendly. We chat about new ethical fashion brands and their inventive ways of handling raw materials and sustainable supply chains, what labels you can look for when shopping for clothing or soft goods, and a lot more. 
Hi, Castrell. Uh, we are here with, of course, Laura and I, and with Castrell Jenkins, the host of the Conscious Ch Chatter podcast. I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with it, and the new co-founder of the brand called Left Edit. So I'll let Castrell to briefly introduce yourself, but I also am curious about how and why you started your sustainability journey and uh, the Conscious Chatter podcast itself. Yeah, thank you so much both for having me. Um, I'm stoked to chat with you. Uh, as far as my journey, I studied global studies and international journalism during university. And I guess I got really intrigued by the way that ideas or products or people kind of move around the world and interact with other people in the environment along the way and vice versa. And so through that kind of scope and lens of thinking about things, I got interested in the idea of fair trade. And after college, I was trying to find something to do and wasn't finding anything that kind of was intriguing to me, I guess. And at the same time, I had always been a massive lover of fashion. I was like, I was the kid that would change your outfit five different times when we had guests at our house so I could like strut around and show a new outfit off. So I guess <laughs> that's, <awesome. laughs> that's always just kind of been at the core of who I am. And uh, I was at home in Wisconsin with my family kind of taking a moment to, to explore and try to see what to do next. And my mom got a catalog from a Wisconsin-based company called Fair Indigo, and they were uh, calling themselves a fair trade clothing brand. And so my mom was like, Kess, what about fashion and kind of thinking about that in connection with fair trade? And so I guess that was kind of the first idea that sparked this for me. And from there, I did tons of research and was trying to figure out who I could work for and how I could kind of get introduced to the industry. And I discovered People Tree, which is based in Japan and in London, and they call themselves the pioneer in fair trade fashion. And I started uh, basically stalking them <laughs> and trying to get an internship with them. I would send them an email once a week, just checking in to see if they were hiring for, for their internships. And eventually, <laughs> after, after several months, I finally got an interview with the the new PR manager, Anthony Waller at the time. And and he was like, okay, uh, can you pop by the office for an interview? And I was like, well, I would love to, but I'm in the United <laughs> States, so I can't really do that. Uh, but we ended up having a phone chat and he was like, all right, I want to hire you. So I guess that was kind of my first introduction to the industry. I got to work with him and work with People Tree's team and got to work with Safia Mini, who uh, was their founder as well. And uh, I guess that was my first exposure to learning about the intense realities of fashion and different ways that we can kind of work towards cleaning it up. That's awesome. And I think this, uh, Laura, the Castrell's experience with People's Tree definitely reminds me of your experience with Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes when you, when you get excited about working for a company, it 
you know, the company doesn't share that excitement because they, because they don't know you yet. <laughs> yeah. But they later, they, they, they just don't know it. Oh, <laughs> so totally. you have to kind of get in there and show your enthusiasm, be helpful. And I love that you didn't let geography uh, play a role in dissuading you from that strategy because, hey, certainly now we're seeing everybody can work from anywhere. Uh, but I, I love that story, Kestrel. It's awesome. I also um, remember hearing about people early on when I was also on my um, sustainable fashion journey. I believe they were mentioned in a documentary um, and just really thought they were doing some awesome stuff. So that's wonderful. I I wonder if we can kind of um, segue into today's topic, which is about textile innovation. And um, I know that one of the reasons you were galvanized to start your new company, Left Edit, was because you are particularly passionate about textiles. It's awesome. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, we can kind of start with the problem um, for consumers. So, so what lies at the core of the fashion industry's negative impact on the environment as it results from textiles? Hmm. Yeah, I mean... The fashion industry is a mess and I guess it's been a mess for years now. Like the industry at large has been continuing to speed up and to increase production for years, which is in turn leading us to have these really chaotic and disconnected and difficult to regulate supply chains. And then if you think about with that comes lots of waste because brands are overproducing and with that, there's also extreme environmental and human impact because of the chemicals that are being used in the farming processes and in the dyeing processes. And if it's leather, the way that leather is tanned. And so there's a lot, a lot of layers involved here. And another one that I think of often is that fashion has become heavily reliant on polyester which is basically derived from petroleum. And that leads to a whole other slew of issues related to microplastics and our waterways. Um, and I guess there's, like I'm saying, there's so many layers here, but one thing I think that's important is that we don't talk about the environmental issues without talking about the human issues because you know women are predominantly making our clothes they're often working in unsafe working conditions and for minimal pay. And I guess I think it's really important that we remember that the human and the environmental impacts are really intrinsically linked. And we need to look at one as well as the other when we're talking about these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, actually, I got to visit people's tree uh, artisans uh, in India when I went to India last year. And one of the organizations that my other company was working with also worked originally with people's tree. And of course, you know, that's kind of uh, talking about the human aspect of fast fashion and the human aspect of fair trade companies like people's tree. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I think when people talk about actually fair trade, right, in many cases, they forget the environmental aspect that an environmental focus that fair trade companies have, right? Of course, it's so much focused on the producers, of on the factory workers, on the artisans and paying them fair wages, but also one of the core fair trade principles is actually respecting the environment. And I'm, as I'm sure people's three you know, has um, has focused for many years on, on that aspect. So uh, People's Tree is obviously one of the pioneers in the industry, right? But, you know, through your interviews in Conscious, Ch Conscious Chatter, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, Conscious Chatter has been around for two or three years now? 
A little over four now. Oh wow, that's amazing! Crazy. So yeah, you have a lot to tell us about. So you uh, you obviously interview many ethical fashion brand founders, uh, people working in the sustainability. You've talked to you know people from Patagonia and Island Fisher. So tell me, uh, tell us who, what fashion brands are kind of uh, leading the way in textile innovation, and also when did it start? When did brands and companies and we as consumers finally kind of start? thinking about this problem that we're having with fast fashion, specifically with textile production. Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess when it comes to textile innovation, it's been happening in, for years. Mm -hmm. It's getting a lot more press in more recent years yeah. because this conversation has been elevated uh, by, you know, documentaries like The True Cost or by uh, the mainstream media starting to to ask more questions and to talk about the impact of fashion. But I think it's also interesting to look back to like indigenous or traditional ways of doing things, because a lot of times when it comes to textiles, those approaches were a lot more aligned with respecting the earth and humans. So there's that aspect of textile, textile innovation that's more so about almost looking back than looking forward. But there is a lot, you know, in both directions right now. I guess for me right now, what's interesting is innovating by reusing natural fibers that already exist. So for example, there's one company that's been doing this for years in Guatemala and they're called the New Denim Project. So they reuse the scrap denim from the industry there, from other factory floors. They break it down and then they re-spin it into new denim which I think is just really cool because they're utilizing waste and they're kind of just putting it back into the cycle. And they do a lot of really cool things with the little tiny scraps that they aren't able to, to utilize or like the, the dust that comes, they end up utilizing it for um, mixing it with like coffee grounds and it becomes a fertilizer, different things like that. Um, there, I guess another textile that comes to mind right now that's being used a lot in, in fashion when it comes to sustainability is Tencel Lyocell. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are talking about it. I think it's one that we're seeing on a larger scale because it's been, the company has been able to scale and they're able to produce at, at higher volumes. Yeah. Um, but Tencel is made from dissolved wood pulp from sustainably harvested eucalyptus trees. And it's done in a closed loop system where like 99 point something percent of that water, which has a, uh, like a, a low chemical solvent in it, mm -hmm. that's all contained then. And if you think about tensile versus cotton, which I think is a lot of times what the conversation is, tensile uses a lot less water in the entire production process than cotton does. Um, which I think when we talk about textiles, one of the big things, again, is water usage and the chemicals that are also used that can then get into our waterways. Um, if you're, if you're interested of interested to talk more about any of these, let me know, because like I could go on, I feel like, and just keep diving into another fiber and another fiber. We're like such textile nerds here too. And I think for a lot of people, their entryway into ethical fashion can be starting to think through what am I putting on my body? What am I putting in my home um, with sheets? 
Um, and I know, you know, you just recently welcomed a new addition to your family, a new baby. So congratulations. Um, and Thank I think, you. you know, oftentimes this starts, some of these questions start when people do start having children. Um, so I wonder if you can kind of talk about that. And if you've had, um, you know, any kind of learnings or reckonings as you've become a new mom and have been kind of digging even more deeply into things like toxins and textiles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I think for a lot of people, like you said, it is a time when you start questioning these things more because baby's skin is so um, permeable, like so many things can enter their their body so much easier than our our skin when we become older. And also, it's like you've just brought this human into the world and they're so tiny and they're so vulnerable. And uh, yeah, you, you ask a lot of questions. And I guess for me, what I've realized and I guess has become more front of mind since my daughter was born is plastics because plastic is literally in everything. Uh, it's in our clothes. It's in you know, our kitchens, it's in our products. And one of the things that I've been trying really diligently to think about is how much plastic that she interacts with, because I've read studies where the amount of plastic that they find in kids' bodies is just like astounding because we're consuming it, because it's literally in everything. And um, I guess it has been really challenging to reduce the amount of plastic she interacts with. I have to be so conscious of it because if you think about toys, if you think about like um, different things that are like for them to sit in, to hang out in, like mm -hmm. so much of it is made from plastic and it's really challenging to avoid it. So I'm always like, looking at it and being like, oh, this is another plastic thing. Is there any way that I can get something that's not made from plastic? We were just talking about plastics on mm -hmm. our team call, weren't we, Lisa? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of scary. I, I didn't realize that, but uh, you, uh, yeah, like all the toys, yeah, all of the, yeah, where the baby is sitting, the, you know, I don't, I don't know any of the terms for the baby stuff, unfortunately, but <laughs> yes, suddenly it makes me realize how much plastic is in everything. What's the documentary, Laura, that you've mentioned to us? Um, so it's it's one that I just watched. It's on PBS Frontline. It's called The Plastic Wars. Um, we talked about it, I think, on a previous episode that we just recorded. But I mm -hmm. truly, for me, the 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 I don't know watershed moment was realizing that a the plastics industry was behind a lot of the recycling education and recycling. Um, you know, just general knowledge out there because they wanted to keep producing these plastics, but not have as much guilt from the government. So they like actually offsourced, um, sorry, outsourced a lot of uh, our current recycling, I don't know, infrastructure to the private to the private sector without taking any responsibility on their own. And then in turn, because they did that, the government stepped away as well. And so I think that there is a place for plastic in certain cases. I mean, certainly there's no way we're getting rid of it anytime soon. But the more that we can be conscious of the plastics that we are using on an everyday basis, um, just like Kestrel was mentioning, you know, I think baby toys and baby just, you know, everything from like a pacifier to a bottle, like it's all plastic. And we don't know the effects really of long-term plastic exposure on this level because they haven't really done studies, um, you know, and there's not really a huge 
interest in doing these studies, right? Because who would fund them? <laughs> so there's just a lot of really interesting, I don't know, corruption and uh, science behind what's going on. So like, I highly recommend that. Um, and I think I, I love that you brought up polyester earlier because I actually um, recently got a rug from a company called Ruggable. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but they're essentially really cool. They're these two-piece rug systems mm -hmm. where you get um, the, the top part of the rug is polyester and it's printed on and the bottom part is rubber. And I got it because we now have three dogs in my house. I'm a crazy dog lady. And the dogs were like making our previous rugs like just kind of dirty. So it's like, mm -hmm. let's get one of these and I can throw it in the wash. Um, but I didn't realize that it was polyester on top, although I should have done my research. And I think this is one of these things where we, Lisa and I always like to be vulnerable, like we are not perfect. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, I literally was looking for something to solve a problem for me. So I bought it. And then only after I bought it did I think about, well, okay, this whole thing is plastic. Like, why aren't they using recycled rubber? Like, why is there no mm -hmm. innovation here? Um, so yeah, I just went on a big plastic rant and I guess I'm a plastic <laughs> lady now, but <laughs> I have the, I have the rug, rug too, but I mean, again, to your point, there's a lot of work to do, right. On the textile innovation and yeah, like ruggable, I think their whole uh, premise is basically, uh, creating rugs for people with pets, you know, uh, obviously like I had a beautiful Oaxacan rug, uh, you know, me and Castrelli actually went together to Oaxaca made by artisans. I had it in my living room and it's gorgeous. Uh, but you know, it's it gets dirty re really quickly so um so i have to either keep, well i have to keep rewashing it and probably switch up my rug a couple of times like i don't know every couple of years at the least um so they so they're solving one problem in terms of like their customer experience but at the same time obviously uh not there's very few companies that are willing to put the money behind the textile innovation and research right Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And it is so interesting because if you look back in the fashion conversation, when it comes to like textile innovation, I feel like for a while, what people were talking about was recycling plastic. And mm -hmm. they were talking about, okay, so like this is made from recycled plastic bottles. This is made from, you know, recycled fishing nets that mm -hmm. are polyester that are being recycled. So I mean, I think that still is a large part of what's happening in fashion, mm -hmm. but we're at a point now where we know so much more about microplastics and, you know, like you're saying, just like all the impacts that fashion can have on our lives that we are getting to a point where I guess we can be asking more questions about that and thinking about how innovation gets beyond that in textiles. Like, I think what's really interesting to me, like I had mentioned the new denim project, but when it comes to fiber to fiber recycling, using natural fibers, because I think that that has a lot of potential, but at the same time, it's challenging because if a brand starts out and they're making products using synthetic fibers, then they can't necessarily, at this point, the technology isn't at scale where they can then recycle that easily when it's like different kinds of synthetics. Whereas if it's all cotton or, you know, all linen, we have like all of one natural fiber. It's a lot easier to be able to break that down and mm -hmm. recycle it and kind of get it back into the loop. Exactly. Like when we think about a closed loop system, um, ideally you're starting with a material that lets you kind of infinitely reuse the materials. Um, but yes, to your point, 
if you're purchasing something that's got recycled plastics, well, A, that's awesome. Like, you know, good good for the brand and good for you for, for helping get some plastic um, sort of out of the system temporarily. But then, of course, what happens when that garment or that piece of, um, you know, that item ends up failing, as all things do eventually, you know, what do we do with it then? Um, and so actually, this kind of leads me to another question that we get asked by our community all the time, which is we talked about materials and things that consumers should be looking for. But, you know, what else should they be looking for? Like, should they be looking for cotton? Should they be looking for linen? Um, and, you know, so I'd love for us to talk about that a little bit. And then also, once we're done, to talk even a little bit more about different brands that you think are doing this sort of closed loop system right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I guess for me, I tend to be of the mindset that everyone is approaching this journey from a different perspective. And we all have different values. So I don't like to be like, oh, well, this fabric is good and this fabric is bad because everyone has their own kind of, you know, lens that they're looking at this through. So I think it's important to, you know, kind of get in tune with what's important to you and your values and then kind of start asking questions from there. Um, But I guess things that you can look for are labels like um, the GOTS certification. So the Global Organic Textile Standard, that's something you can look for if you're looking for organic cotton. Um, You can look for, like Lisa had mentioned, the fair trade label, which um, fair trade now has a label that you can find on garments. So that's an option where you can understand that, um, the fair trade values were, uh, adhered to, uh, throughout the process of creating that garment. Um, labels are really complicated and they're really challenging to navigate. And so I always feel like it's hard to put so much weight on that for a shopper because it can get really confusing. And like, there's already so many things that we're supposed to be doing and that we're supposed to be looking at from a consumer standpoint that I feel like sometimes I wonder if I'm just confusing people more by explaining these labels. (laughs) So I think um, also like it can be really beneficial to find people that you respect in the, in the space, whether it be, you know, journalists or whether it be bloggers or influencers and following them and, you know, products or different things that they talk about to kind of help you navigate it. Because I think it can be overwhelming. And I don't think that we should be putting like so much pressure on shoppers to have to, you know, sift through all of this chaos. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think like we, me and Laura talk about this pretty much every week. Uh, it, uh, being sustainable is overwhelming. And if we as brands, as like I always say, I'm a marketer, like if you want people to do something, it has to be extremely, extremely simple. And, you know, this uh, crazy amount of different certifications out there right now does not help the case, unfortunately, right? And just as you said, me and Laura are huge believers in starting with your values, right? Uh, we always say on almost every episode, it's it's impossible to be perfect in anything in life. It's uh, definitely impossible to be perfectly sustainable, right? So starts with your values, right? And so just like you said, you started with fair trade, right? That led you to this whole uh, sustainable 
sustainability journey that you discovered all of the different brands. You have your own podcast, but you started with fair trade, right? With the kind of human aspect um, of the fashion industry. And same thing for me. But for other people, for other folks, more and more the environmental issues and climate change is important. So you can start there. But basically start with you and don't try not to um, the number, sheer number of certifications kind of overwhelm you. Uh, so it's it's less important. Uh, I think certifications are less important than your, your personal values because we're all unique. And your, as we like to say brightly, your values is your sustainability superpower, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a bit about uh, kind of uh, actionable um tips and things that we can uh, kind of implement into our, in our everyday life besides besides the fabric, right? Beyond the fabric. What we as consumers can do to make sure that our fashion habits are easy on the environment? Uh, beyond buying the fabrics that you've mentioned, um, are there any tips that you have for our listeners? Thanks so much for listening. We'll get back to today's episode in just a second, but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there, which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, Brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. Partnerships like this are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for sheets and giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past three months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week, I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, I finally got to try their new eucalyptus comforter. I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even in the middle of the summer. And I haven't been waking up hot when I've been using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down one we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and their materials don't use pesticides. So they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to their customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters and have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. That's awesome. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsgiggles.com. So I just went over to Laura's house recently and was shocked at how clean it is, especially since you guys just adopted a new puppy. (laughs) Very funny. We are definitely not neat freaks at my house, but it's been pretty messy lately with all those pups. When I find cleaning products that are natural, safe, and incredibly effective, I have to shout it from the rooftops. I gave my place a once-over with Puracy products right before you got there, and it did look pretty sparkly if I say so myself. Seriously, when we started learning about Puracy, we were also excited to learn that they're 100% made in the U.S. and their team is obsessed about plant-powered performance. They also offer more than just cleaning products. My personal favorite I've tried from them is their organic hand and body lotion. It's very moisturizing, but not greasy. It's also great to use right after their hand sanitizer, which is also super effective. 
Puracy has over a million customers and thousands of five-star reviews, so don't just take our word for it. Although, we hope you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Head to puracy.com slash brightly for 10% off your order. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of times when I get asked this question, people mm-hmm. expect that I'm going to tell them how to shop differently or yeah. how they can shop to, you know, buy things that are quote unquote better. But I think it actually starts with first using what we have because we're in this consumeristic mindset where we think, oh, well, I have this problem. I guess I'll buy something else to fix it. Mm-hmm. When actually we have most of us, a lot of things already at our houses or in our closets. And a lot of times it just starts with like looking at what we have and trying to get creative with it because there's stats out there that apparently in the US, women only wear 20% of their closets. So we have 80% of our garments just hanging there, like never being utilized. So I think it's important to start with, okay, let's see what I have. How can I get creative with this? Are there ways that I can adjust garments, like take them to a tailor to have them fit better? Or maybe I can, you know, chop these pants off and turn them into shorts, or I guess just look at what you have and and have some fun with it. Um, Because I have found for myself that when I have constraints, so I have less things or less options, it brings out far more creativity and I get really innovative with what I'm trying to do. Oh yeah. Your style is amazing. I I'm unfortunately I'm on the non as creative side of things. So I do understand people and don't feel bad. You know, if you, I'm that person with like 20% of wardrobe that I'm not like, I only wear 20%. And I think (laughs) during the coronavirus, unfortunately, I think we're wearing like 1% maybe. Oh yeah. Like I've got these like good old sweatpants. Those are keeping me, keeping me alive. (laughs) For the last two months. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally I mean it's hard like right now what is it all about it's like comfort I think is really key because we're going through like so many emotions and every day is a roller coaster and there's so many unknowns so I think it is a time where we're like extra drawn to comfortable garments yeah absolutely and I think um you know, a lot of brands, we talked about this um, on the last episode that we recorded, which was with um, Jessica and Fairtrade USA. And we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the the impact that coronavirus has had on brands placing orders with, um, you know, manufacturers and supply chains. And I think obviously no one could have predicted that everyone would have wanted a bunch of comfy clothing um, at this time in the, you know, in the, in the season, you know, typically most of us would be looking for summer items. Um, if you were shopping, I'm actually one of those folks that doesn't do a ton of shopping. Um, so I'm, it's actually nice. I don't have to worry about it too much. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so anyway, I wondered, um, you know, you mentioned not buying anything. I wonder if you've ever, um, thought more about the secondhand clothing, um, you know, have you ever used any um, particular secondhand clothing apps or anything like that that you like to recommend? Yeah. I mean, I think it is a really cool time for secondhand because it's not only something that you can find at, you know, stores like, um, like a Buffalo exchange or like a local thrift shop. Now it's online as well. 
And I think that's really exciting because it just opens up access to finding different pieces and finding pieces that are exciting to you. Um, I think ThreadUp is a cool platform to explore. Like it's impressive the amount of garments that they're able to kind of um, process and get on their website and, uh, you know, get out there for, for shoppers to be able to access. I also love, you know, Poshmark because if you're looking for something really specific, often you can find it on there. And I also tend to be someone that every once in a while wants to splurge on like a luxury item, but I don't have the finances to be able to buy it new. So I will often look at the real real or Vestiaire Collective if I'm looking for something really specific or maybe like I'm dreaming of this specific brand's shoes. I'll look and watch on those sites to to try to see if I can snag the right size. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a really unique time for resale and the resale market is growing like crazy fast. Like it's growing yeah. faster than retail. And I think in years to come, it's going to be really interesting to watch how that becomes it's in this entirely new part of fashion. Because I think even bigger brands are having to start uh, looking at what resale is doing and how it's shifting and how they can even think about bringing it into their company Model. and the way that they're approaching things as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we've heard uh, ThreadUp has pa- partnerships with, if I'm not mistaken, Nordstrom or Dillard's or like definitely multiple partnerships with big players. So again, just like with anything else, uh, you know, it's consumers who are voting with their dollars, right? Supporting Poshmark, ThreadUp's, Real Real, and companies like that. Real Real is a publicly traded company now. We shouldn't forget, it's not a small player. And then all the traditional retailers, I think, probably uh inevitably um after and during COVID-19 they are forced to switch their business models and rethink everything from the very beginning um but talking about uh the pieces that that the perfect unique beautiful creative pieces that um might maybe like have a special place in your wardrobe so I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about Left Edit, your other company uh, that you've started, I think, a year ago. And tell us your thinking behind the brand, behind the products and textiles, everything uh, that you guys are thinking and how you're approaching your business differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my co-founder, Holly, and I became friends in San Diego where we met, but we're both from the Midwest. So we kind of had that kindred connection. And we were both really interested in fashion. And so whenever we would hang out, we would talk about, you know, clothes or styling or fashion. And um, we both also have kind of like this entre- entrepreneurial drive. And so we started having these meetings and getting together and kind of trying to figure out if there'd be a way to to fuse our interests to build something together. And one of our first meetings, uh, we we had this idea where we brought different things that were, I guess, important to us or things that we loved. And we shared them and kind of got our, our, our brains sparked to kind of evolve this conversation. And we both brought a garment and we both brought like, kind of like self-help books or like quote books or books that were based on like getting really connected to yourself. And I guess Mm -hmm. through that, we kind of kept evolving uh, what this could look like. And 
I guess in the beginning, we both were fighting and resisting creating a fashion brand because we both know that there's a lot of brands out there and there's a lot of products. And we kept being like, well, we don't need to create another one. But as we would have these conversations, we would realize that when people would ask us, you know, where do you shop? We didn't have a lot of answers. And so we started looking at what this brand could be. And for us, it's always been about having less pieces, but pieces that are really versatile and you can wear multiple ways. And they're kind of the pieces that you keep going back to. Because one of the things that we've realized in recent years is because of fast fashion and because of how fashion has has transformed into being kind of this, this industry that makes cheap things that are throwaway, we don't have a lot of garments that we're going to be able to pass down to the next generation. If you think about yes. heirlooms, like I have so many pieces that my mom passed down to me that are like, I love them. You know, they're pieces yep. I go back to. And and even if I don't wear them all the time, they have so much value to me. And they're pieces that like are help me connect to her and have so many stories embedded in them. And I guess that's what one of the things that for me is so powerful about fashion. And so for us, we're really about creating garments that'll last for a long time and hopefully can become pieces that you are able to hand down to you know, your kids in the future or to someone else down the line. And we we started with uh, like a five-piece collection because we didn't want to go crazy and make a bunch of different things, but we wanted to kind of test the market and see what our shoppers were interested in. So we launched on Kickstarter last year and and quickly realized that what we thought people would want is not necessarily true. <laughs> so we thought people would want bright colors and prints because there isn't a lot of that in the sustainability and fashion world. But turns out people still want like more classic colors and, you know, more neutral kind of approaches. And so mm -hmm. uh, it was really valuable for us to discover that because we definitely have shoppers who are excited about prints and color, but on a larger scale, people really want those classic classic pieces. And so our Vera dress, which is uh, a slip dress that's a little bit updated in the sense that uh, slip dresses can be really clingy and this dress has a different shape. So it's really comfortable and really easy to layer, uh, to wear pieces under it or over it. And it's really easy to move in. And so that dress is in a navy and that was our standout piece. And so what we've been doing moving forward is thinking about how that dress becomes like our primary piece right now. Uh, we're really thoughtful in the way that we move forward with things and we're really slow. <laughs> so so we are not uh, buying into, I guess, the traditional industry in that fast paced sort of way. We're really thinking consciously and strategically about things before we just make a bunch of stuff. And so at this point, we are, um, we've updated our Vera dress and we'll be relaunching that shortly, actually. And it's updated based on feedback from shoppers. So people uh, told us like, I wish it had this little thing or I wish it had this little thing. And so we were able to um, adjust the pattern for that style and also add extra sizes so um, we now will go up to a 2X in that style and then we'll, we're going to release it. And 
our mindset right now is to focus on one piece at a time because we think it's really important to make garments that, like I had said, can have longevity and be passed down and, you know, be versatile. And we're not trying to tell people to buy a bunch of stuff. We're like, if this is something that you think you'll use, great. We're all about it. But if it's not, then we're totally cool with it. (laughs) Exactly. And I love that you're adding more sizes to your mix because I read this really interesting Twitter uh, thread recently. Um, I can't remember who started it, but they were talking specifically about inclusivity in sizing in in ethical fashion. And so the more we hear that, the better. So that's awesome. Um, so as we kind of come to the end of the episode, Lisa and I typically like to ask our guests a few our guests, excuse me, a few different questions. So one would be, um, Kestrel, if you could share one or two actionable tips uh, on living ethically and sustainably for our audience, and they don't have to be related to fashion, maybe one or two things that you find you yourself doing every day. Yeah, for sure. I guess Um, I kind of mentioned this before, but one thing that I always am a proponent of is buying less and getting creative with what we already have. And I also am just such a big fan of asking more questions. I think that naturally it sets us up to continue learning and growing along our own journey. And it challenges brands and companies and people to, you know, think deeper about what they're doing in their everyday lives. That's awesome. Still here. Yeah, so uh, we obviously talked uh, uh, quite a lot about different brands, and it was really cool to hear um, how you guys think about business strategy, slowing everything down at left edit. But um, are there any other ethical brands uh, or products that you want to give a shout out to? And again, it doesn't have to be fashion. Maybe it's some baby products that our listeners should know or any uh, lifestyle product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is always a hard question because I talk to so many different brands, but yeah. <laughs> but I guess I was thinking about that comfort thing that I mentioned earlier. And because of that, I think two brands stand out for me right now. Uh, one of them is Backbeat Co. And they're based in LA and they make like very like laid back LA inspired garments that are made using low impact textiles. She uses a lot of hemp and she uses... Tencel, organic cotton. Um, and then also I love Mate, uh, Mate the label. They they mm-hmm. make sets and a lot of really comfort-driven pieces as well. So like I have a, a sweatpant and like long sleeve shirt top that's a set and it's in a sage green color and it's all organic cotton. And their stuff is just like literally a dream to wear. So recently I've been wearing that on repeat. That's for sure. Love it. Yeah. More, the more comfy clothing, the better, right? <laughs> um, I want to right? Um, so for our last question, we love to ask this one. So what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? Mm. I think we're in a really interesting time, you know, um, but amidst all this chaos and I guess the intensity of the global pandemic, I think we're in a time of reimagining. So I think this is a time where we have the opportunity to actually rebuild what fashion can look like. And I think that a lot of individuals and brands are hoping that bigger change is now on the horizon. I guess some ideas that I've been hearing lately that are exciting to me are this idea of needing to localize supply chains. 
and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, reduce the extensity of supply chains and kind of come back to what's nearby and figure out how to build supply chains closer to home. And also this idea of, um, I guess, reducing what seasonality means in fashion. So instead of having like four plus seasons per year, maybe we ditch that altogether and think in more long-term ways of making pieces and collections that last and extend across this idea of seasons. So I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of ways that right now we have an opportunity to, you know, kind of ditch what fashion is now and think about it in totally new ways. Absolutely. Or kind of in old ways as well, right? Just like, you know, uh, mentioned that, you know, you inherited so many pieces from your mother and just like me uh, and Laura did. And yeah, a lot of this new thinking, obviously there's a lot of innovation there, but in many ways we are almost kind of going back to the roots, uh, as I like to say, which is also very nice and kind of makes me feel good um, and reconnected to our past. Um, Anyways, thank you so much, Castrell, for this episode, for spending time with us and our listeners we really enjoyed this conversation and um again we recommend that everyone check out conscious chatter and left edit and again have a great week thanks so much for having me so fun chatting with you both thank you Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.